This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well... Cooling off outside. I, I know uh, the afternoons, probably you know, right about now, it's it's still warm. It's up there some places in the uh, upper 80s, maybe even close to 90. But it's cooling off. Uh, Thanksgiving is just around the corner next week. And uh, what, what a blessing it is to be able to have family and friends over. We've got some friends coming up. They just had a baby a few weeks ago, so I'm excited to have them up, see the new little baby Charlotte. A lot of good and wonderful things uh, coming up. And then, of course, Christmas coming in December. But my kids, they're just looking forward to that four-day weekend. They want to get out of school, and they call it, at our school, they call it the rest and relaxation R&R weekend. No homework. So they're really excited about that. Something to be thankful for. Now, last week, we were looking at uh, some of the B attitudes in light of being a servant and a, kind of a portrait of Jesus being painted here. And of course, you know, when you open up Matthew chapter 5 and you read those first two verses, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. So he's talking, he's talking directly to his disciples. This sermon is directed to them. Now the, the rest of the crowd can hear it, but it's for his disciples. And he starts off with these be attitudes. Attitudes you need to be if you want to be a disciple of Christ. And I think the thematic verse, the, the verse that counts the most, you could say, that really explains what Jesus is doing here, is Matthew 5 verse 20, when he tells them, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can't make it. Not the way they're doing it. They're not doing it right. Their, their hearts are not right. So he, he starts things off with these, these B attitudes, these eight attitudes that we need to have. And we're going to look at the last, last few here starting in verse verse 7. And this isn't one of those things where you can just blow through and read, you know, oh yeah, I, I know the Beatitudes. It's kind of like a, when you go to the aquarium. When you go to the aquarium down there off the 101, you know, in, in Talking Stick, you want to look at each of the creatures that are in the water. You know, take your time. Enjoy it. When, when uh, Jenny and I first took our kids there, when it, oh, when we had the ability, the kids were so excited. We knew it was going to be a while because it, they said online that it was going to be like a, I think they said 60 to 90 minutes to get through the whole thing. So, all right, we're going to be here a while. Well, with our kids, we blew through that thing in record time, like 20 minutes. They ran. And they, never, they weren't stopping to look at anything. We're like, hey, look at these sharks. Oh, wait, 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 look, there's an octopus. It, they just keep running. <laughs> Couldn't get them to slow down. So they didn't, didn't get a chance to enjoy it. After a few times, they started to really stop and look 
and appreciate what they were saying. So we need to slow it down and appreciate what it is we're reading here in these Beatitudes. Let's look at verse 7, where we left off. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. What does that mean? Well, merciful. Well, merciful means to look upon the needs of others with concern. And, and there's a difference, just so you know, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Sometimes people hear those things, they, they kind of connect them together as being the same, they're, they're not. Grace is when you give somebody something good, you give somebody something good that they do not deserve. And mercy is holding back a punishment, holding back what somebody deserves. You hold it back and you don't give it to them. Even though they deserve it, you don't give it to them. That's mercy. And so mercy is an attitude. It is a disposition, isn't it? One that has potential action. I remember my uh, brothers when I, was, I grew up on a farm, and I have uh, three older brothers, and they had convinced me to crawl, as a little kid, crawl into a chicken coop. And it's one of those small ones where you would just put a couple of chickens, and then they shut and latched it behind me. I couldn't turn around. And uh, I could hear them laughing and leaving. I was stuck in there. I didn't know what to do. I was crying. But eventually, one of them had mercy on me. They felt bad. They came back in and let me out and said, sorry. That was mercy. Oh, boy, I needed it at that moment. Needed some mercy. Last week, we talked about the good Samaritan over in Luke chapter 10 in our Bibles. I want to turn back over there. You remember that? Uh, The good Samaritan is a story where the fellow was uh, heading to Jericho. He fell among robbers. He got beaten half to death, left on the side of the road to die. And a priest and a Levite came by, but they walked around him. They didn't even stop to help him. But a Samaritan, a person the Jews despised, he came along, saw the man, had mercy. And, uh, excuse me a second. Got to find my, my place here at Luke 10. Here we are. And so he comes along and he helps this fellow out. Now, Jesus is talking to a lawyer. If you remember the story, the lawyer is there and he's, testing Jesus. He's, he's trying, I think, trying to entrap the Lord. And uh, it starts there in verse 25 where the lawyer says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him what is written in the law. How does it read to you? And he gives them, uh, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus gives him the story of the good Samaritan. And at the end, verse 36, Jesus says to him, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Correct. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Our actions reveal the nature of our heart. Our actions reveal the nature of our heart. Over in the book of Titus, now i got to get my Bible turned over there. Over there in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 16, 
It reads this. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Oh, we know God, but they, we could tell by their deeds, their actions, the fruit, they were not telling the truth. So our actions reveal the nature of our heart. You know, the ability to properly extend a mercy is the power to see life from the other fellow's point of view. That is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful receive mercy, not uh, only from men, but from God. Fellowship with a merciful God is impossible to those without mercy themselves. Remember when Peter, in Matthew chapter 18, asked Jesus, how many times uh, should I forgive my brother? Seven times, he asked. And then the Lord says, no, I say not seven times, but seven times 70. He wasn't giving him a bigger number. He was illustrating to him as many times as it takes. However often he comes back to you, you forgive him. We are to be merciful, just as our Father in heaven is merciful. Luke chapter 6. James talks to us about the merciless over in James chapter 2, verse 13. We need mercy. If someone comes knocking on your door and they say they're in need, and you say, oh, I can see you need clothes, you need food, you need shelter. Be warm and be filled. Good luck. And then you shut the door and do nothing. What good is that? You can say all those words all day, but if your actions don't back up your words, you are not a merciful person. We need to be a people of mercy. Verse 8, we must be pure in heart. Let me turn back over. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what is the heart? Well, you got two possibilities, right? you got the physical heart, and you've got the spiritual heart. Now, the physical heart, it pumps our blood all throughout our body, right? You need that. It's got to pump properly, but if you start getting cholesterol, you know, eating the wrong kind of foods or whatnot, not work, uh, doing good exercise, well, you're going to have problems. It's going to create issues, and you're not going to feel as good. You're going to start feeling sick, and eventually you may have a heart attack and die. Same thing with the spiritual heart. If you put the wrong things into your heart, eventually, spiritually, you're going to die. The spiritual heart refers to the real personality of a man. It is the hidden person, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3. The inner man is one's total intellectual, emotional, and moral nature. So you have all, you know, the, the spirit, that's the, the mind and the heart of man, and the, the mind where we collect all that information. We have all our experiences, and it's at the heart where we make a decision. And that decision is going to be based on whatever standard we're living by. If it's by Chris's standard, then I'm going to go by that. If it's by the world standard or, or whatever standard, but Christ's standard is different. And his standard is what's going to really allow true life to flow through that spiritual heart. It determines the direction we take as it pumps its attitude, as it pumps its disposition all throughout us. Our life 
flows from this heart. The condition of the heart determines the kind of life that we live, doesn't it? Remember that cartoon, uh, the, the Grinch who stole Christmas, and his heart was black and small and didn't do much because he was kind of person he was. But once he saw that, you know, the, the children and experienced mercy and grace from them, his heart began to change. He got a little bigger and a little bigger. And as he experienced these things and his heart changed, his attitude changed. You see? He became different. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, the word pure means clean. You know, this purity is far above the kind of ceremonial external cleanliness that was really valued by the religious leaders of the days of Jesus. We read about that, <clears throat> excuse me, in Matthew 23. Uh, nothing uncleans in heaven, Revelation 21, 27. Obedience to the truth will cleanse us, 1 Peter 1, 22. Baptism washes away sin, but it is an inward cleansing, right? Acts 22, 16. 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism does now also save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Well, we need that. We need that. And then there's that continual cleansing. If we walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7. So, <clears throat> it is to have a clear conscience. And it, it is at that point when we are baptized into Christ, when we have it, it's when we, we know what God has done for us in baptism, when that washing away, our sins are gone. We can now approach the throne knowing we have been made clean by the blood of Christ. And so we have a clean conscience. We no longer stand there realizing, I am such a sinner. I can't do it. I'm worthless. Yeah, we know those. those that's mournful. We recognize those things. But thanks be to God, he sent his son to us and made us pure. And we can only remain pure if we remain in him, in Christ, because he is the light, the true light from heaven. So we must be pure in heart, unmixed. That carries that concept of without mixture. Milk uh, was watered down. Things are added to gold to deceive. You know, you remember those things. You can't be a, a, a mixed like that. It's got to be pure milk. It's got to be pure gold. It was used uh, uh, in the times of Jesus to refer to gold or milk, which was without foreign substance. And so Jesus intends for his disciples, for you and me, to serve God with unmixed hearts. He wants hearts completely devoted to the single aim of serving him. You cannot serve both God and man. Now, we try, don't we? We try. Uh, or, or we may continue to do this, and we're, we're do, but we want to keep serving God, but we keep doing these sins, and so we have this internal struggle, and we, we stress because there's this battle constantly going on. These two things are opposed to one another. You cannot do serve both, even though we try. But because we try to do that, there's this constant battle within us, and that's why we have stress and anxiety, and we're just don't know what to do. It's because we won't let go of the old man. We must be like Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in this life and beyond. Now, in this life, we won't see God with our physical eyes, 
But every man can search and find God. Acts 17, verses 24 to 27. In John 1, 18, we see God as he really is, his nature in Christ. I, th- I think it was uh, Philip who said to Jesus, show us the Father. And then Jesus says to him, that's uh, John 14, 8, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What was he saying? It is the nature, it is the attitude that you see in Jesus. That's what he, you see. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He wants us to have a correct image of God. Only those whose hearts are set on knowing God will ever see him clearly. So we will see God in this this life, and we'll, of course, we'll see him beyond this realm. 1 John 3, 2, Hebrews 12, 14, Revelation 21, 3, and 22, and 23. All these passages all deal with, we, with the fact that we will see God when we leave this realm and go on to the next, as long as we what? Strive in the light. So blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now that, oof, that statement may have come as a shock to the Jewish audience who thought the coming kingdom would be political, you know, enforced by a strong military. Of course, Jesus is really the opposite of the Jewish expectation. He, he came not to make war, but to bring peace, John 14, 27. And the kind of peace that Jesus came to give does not meet the world's concept of peace. Over in the book of Genesis, when you remember when Jacob went to Laban to, to get a wife and he wanted Rachel, of course he deceived him, ended up with Leah, he served her, for him for seven years for her, and then he has to serve another seven years for, for Rachel, <clears throat> and then he served him another six years after that uh, as a worker. And he was, you know, so you got 20 years there and he was ready to leave and he was, he was worried that his father might kill him or, or try to stop him and take the, his wives and children. So he left in secret. Laban chased after him with the intention to kill him, I think, with his kinsmen. Came up to him. Of course, God, but the night before, told him, don't say good or bad to Jacob. In other words, leave him alone. And so they had this little confrontation. He told them, I just wanted to say goodbye to my family. They did. They, they made a little memorial spot. And at that memorial, they said, "You, when you come to me, do not pass this memorial with intention to harm me. In other words, they were making peace, weren't they? And it was not the kind of peace where, hey, I love you. Let's have peace. It's the peace of don't hurt me. We, like our peace treaties we have with other countries. We're telling each other we're not going to harm each other. We want to. <laughs> we want your land. We, you want our, we don't like what you do or whatever it might be, but we'll, we'll have peace. Or we have peace because uh, you have nuclear bombs. I got nuclear bombs. And since we both have nuclear bombs, we have peace because we don't want to blow each other away. So we have peace. That's the kind of peace the world sees. And that's the way it works in this world. It is. But that's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. The peace Jesus brings has to do with right relationships. The reason for broken relationships, it is sin. 
The reason for all human troubles can be traced back to sin, lust, greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, which is a problem of the heart. Until, until a man's heart is changed, he will never experience real, true peace. The disciples are to be peacemakers in this world, to bring about and promote the kind of peace that Jesus is bringing. And what is required of us to be peacemakers? Well, number one, be at peace with God. Right? Colossians 1, 19, verse 20. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. We must be at peace with others, Romans 12, 18. And we must be at peace with ourself. You're, we already talked about this a little bit. There, there are conflicting forces within us that pull us in opposite direction. That conflict has to do with, or has to be resolved before you can intervene with someone else as a peacemaker. It is a struggle within us to, uh, between knowing what is right and yet doing what is wrong, like what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 toward the end when he says, I know the right thing to do, but I keep doing the wrong thing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this? I'm paraphrasing that. And then he gets into chapter 8, and he shows that it is the new spirit in us that saves us, it's the spirit of Christ. And the problem, of course, is striving to serve two masters, which we've already discussed Drives our hearts into a civil war. It's impossible. And this genuine peace only comes when you quit serving self and give your life completely over to the Lord. Galatians 2.20, when Paul says, um, I have been crucified with Christ, and, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Peacemakers. So we need to become peacemakers with others. And there's two absolute essentials for God's peacemakers here. We must have a love for others. That enables us to go the extra mile to avoid conflict. And we must stand for truth. The peace of God does not compromise. We cannot offer peace on our terms. Only the terms and conditions given by God bring genuine peace. Peace. You got the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. If everyone followed the gospel teachings, the world would experience peace. Christianity is God's means of bringing peace to the world. For they shall be called the sons of God. And son means that you bear resemblance to your father, having the, his characteristics. Uh, Jesus talked about this in John eight forty four when he says that, uh, said the devil was their father because they acted like him. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. Some of the disciples in Mark 3.17 are called the sons of thunder. Disciples look and act like God when promoting his kind of peace. Look at Matthew 5, verses 43 to 40, 45. Jesus said there, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father. See that? Be sons of your father. I'm running it low on time. Let me get to the next verse, verses 10 through 12. We were blessed when persecuted. So you got to change the language here. If we live for Jesus, we will be persecuted. Jesus assumes it. And it's for the sake of righteousness. Persecution arises in response to the condemnation felt by the unrighteous when confronted 
by righteousness in the followers of Christ. Cain versus Abel. When Noah built the ark, he condemned the world. Sin tries to suppress the truth. We see all these things. You got righteousness. That speaks of the way of true believers, those who strive to be right with God. This persecution is because you and I were Christians. We're living and teaching Christian principles, and therefore, by our very lives, we're condemning the world. So, blessed are the persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why does, it, why does the last beatitude contain the same reward as the first? Because the, the, the world, you know, they see a, a person who receives a kingdom as a person who is an, an aggressor, of course. But, you know, they, they're, they're the ones that overcome the enemy. And so we'll overcome the enemy if we have a poor spirit and uh, uh, a, uh, sorry, and we're, uh, excuse me, and if we are persecuted and we have a poor spirit, we'll overcome the enemy. Now, that's not the way the world thinks you win a war, but that's the way you win the war on the level of your heart. For the Christ kingdom, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll receive greater things. Blessed are you when men revile you, that's using violent language or verbal abuse, when they persecute you, they're inflicting injury, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely, so let's slander and false accusations, and they do all this on account of me, Jesus says. This is the qualification. It's no fun being abused, but if abused because of our relationship to the king, how can we complain? Our reaction to such treatment, rejoice and be glad. Literally shout for joy. Why? Well, remember, your reward in heaven is great. Mimic the prophets. Whatever the world can take from us is more than repaid in our heavenly possession. 1 Peter 1, 3-9. So let's remember Jesus. He was hated. He was falsely accused. And we need to walk in his footsteps. What a blessing to read about the B attitudes, the attitudes we need to be if we want to be disciples of Christ. Thank you for joining me here today, here on the program. I hope you have a blessed day. I hope you go home and read the, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We should do this every month. It is such a blessing. It will strengthen you and give you a spring in your step and help you to remember all that the Lord has done for us. Attitudes you need to be. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Sinning up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.